The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Sounds like what we were talking about in the prophecy update a while ago, doesn't it? The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Marvelous. Numbers 10, verses 1 through 10 is our sermon today. It's entitled, Two Silver Trumpets. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. What does it mean to be remembered before the Lord? How do we take that? The Lord doesn't forget, and indeed, he cannot forget. He's all-knowing, or he ain't God. The thought of forgetting something in the Bible is that of pushing something actively out of remembrance, even if it isn't actually forgotten. And then remembering something is an active calling it back to mind, meaning to the attention of one's focus. And so when we read a passage like today's, then the Lord says that he will remember the people, it does not mean that he forgot them. Rather, it is that he will take action on their behalf. 
The verses today are often spiritualized to indicate that the sound of the trumpets is as of the sound of preachers and others proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Although that is flowery and fun, it doesn't convey the intent of what is being presented here. And more, that analogy is then taken further by some to say that the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 8, are speaking of the different sounds of the trumpet explained in this passage. There, Paul says, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Hence, we need to have clarity of speech when we preach the gospel. That isn't correct, thank goodness, because as you know, I have the most twisted tongue on the planet. It is wrong for a couple of reasons. First, it is mixing types of trumpets. The silver trumpets and the ram's horn had different purposes. Secondly, Paul is referring to the speaking of tongues in a congregation, not specifically preaching of the gospel. He was looking for order within the church, not people confusing others with languages which were unknown to the hearer. As a hint of what these things are picturing, we go to Malachi for our text verse of the day. We go to Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. Another commentary I read also noted that the analogy of these trumpets as being preaching of the gospel was wrong. In his eyes, they picture prayer before the Lord. He based that on an idea of being remembered before the Lord God, and prayer is what makes that happen. After a page-long analysis, he still didn't defend the case very well. He was correct that it is not preaching of the gospel, but his thoughts on it being prayer do not add up. The reasons are too long to go through now, but with a complete and thorough evaluation of the verses, you will see this as well. The two main things to focus on and keep asking yourself while we are going through this passage are, why two trumpets and why silver? The answer to those questions combined with the four main purposes which are given for them will provide the answer. There is the literal, historical meaning concerning these two trumpets, and then there is, as almost always with passages like this, a pictorial meaning as well. No, it is not the preaching of the gospel, nor is it prayer. But both of those are a part of what is pictured. The passage is a marvelous part of his superior word. And so, let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Now, before I go on, I'll let you know that our brother Doug, who does the painting, which was posted at the uh, thumbnail for every sermon on YouTube, figured it out. He came, I would say, 98% to what these two trumpets picture. And it's astonishing because his mind works like an artist, and so he makes artwork that reflects what he's thinking, and it's very well done this week. So if you get a chance to look at that, you will be able to grasp a little more beautifully what he intended and what the Bible actually intends for these things. Our first thought today is make two silver trumpets. It's verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The timing of these words cannot be known. It could be that they were given at the time of the construction of the sanctuary, first mandated all the way back in Exodus 25, verse 1. It could have been at some point after the sanctuary was fully set up, as is recorded in Exodus 40. It may be that the Lord waited until the camps were arranged in the form of a cross that he speaks out the words to Moses, simply because of what the coming words proclaim. Each is possible, but no option can be dogmatically claimed. All we have is that the words are stated here, 
regardless as to when they were actually spoken out. What is important then is not the timing of when the instructions were given, but the placement of the words in relation to the events which surround them. The context is that the little Passover was proclaimed and observed. That was a couple sermons ago. That was followed by a note about the pillar of cloud and fire, which covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and that it would continue to be with the people throughout their journey to Canaan. Now, after mentioning that, this passage of 10 verses is given. Immediately following this section will be the actual departure from Sinai. I was thinking about that this morning. Here we are talking about the departure of Sinai next week. And they actually got there at the beginning of the, well, not the beginning, but about the middle of the book of Exodus. So we have been at Mount Sinai now in our sermons for what, two and a half years or so? Amazing. But here we are next week. We are going to be departing Sinai. Therefore, what will be presented, even without yet looking at the verses, is intricately connected to the thought of the movement of the people as a united force. Anything beyond that will require explanation. But the placement of the passage here is meticulously determined, and it should be considered as such. With that understanding, we now turn to the purpose of the passage and the reason for the words to Moses, which is that he is to, verse 2, make two silver trumpets for yourself. Make for yourself two trumpets, silver. It is a new word in scripture, or trumpet. These will be seen 29 times, five in numbers, and the majority of the uses will be in one and two chronicles. The word is derived from the word chatzar, meaning to blow. But that in turn comes from a primitive root meaning to surround with a stockade and thus to separate from the open country. Knowing the meaning of the root, and without going any further, we can immediately assume that the trumpets will have the intent of gathering together or separating things from one another, just as a stockade would. These are not to be confused with the shofar, or ram's horn trumpet, which is seen elsewhere, such as right here on the pulpit. That's a shofar, that's a ram's horn trumpet. Or it is also seen in Leviticus 25, verse 9, which said, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. It would be better if translators would have two different words to signify the two different trumpets, but they don't usually. As they are specified to be made of silver, it would be good to remember what silver symbolizes in the Bible. Does anyone here remember what silver symbolizes? Redemption. Silver symbolizes redemption. It's very clear all the way throughout scripture you will see this. In short, it pictures redemption and in the paying of a ransom. In other words, redemptive works in general. This has been seen time and time again from the book of Genesis on, but especially in the construction of the sanctuary and in the payment of the ransom money by the people. It is certain, then, that the same general and consistent meaning would continue to be applied here in these silver trumpets. Verse 2 continues, You shall make them of hammered work. Mikshah ta'ase otam. Of hammered work you shall make them. The work is to be mikshah, or translated here as hammered. The word has only been used to describe the cherubim at the ends of the mercy seat and of the making of the menorah. Whether it is actually hammered work or not, is disputed. The word comes from mikshe, which means, surprisingly, a fancy hairdo. So it could be the turning of a metal, think of a woman's hair, how it looks like it's been turned, like the braids of hair, or it could be the hammering of metal for shaping. 
This is the last use of it in the books of Moses, and it will be seen only one more time in Jeremiah 10, verse 5, where it is very widely translated, showing that even the best translators can't come to a sound agreement on what is being relayed there. However they were formed, they were of silver, and Moses is then told, verse 2 continues, you shall use them for calling the congregation. There is one verb and two nouns. It therefore actually more precisely says that they are to be used for the call of the congregation. What is implied is that the congregation is in one state and the trumpets are used as a call, thus alerting for a change in that state. At this point, we don't know what the call is, but that will be defined in the verses ahead. It is not a single call, but a call as a particular sounding is made. The call could be for breakfast, toodle-doo. The call could be made for doing laundry, toodle-dee. The call could be made for dinner, hmm, lamb chops, toodle-dum. These are to be used for the call of the congregation. Whatever that call is, precision of translation in using the noun reveals this to us much more poignantly. Though a bit stiff in wording, Robert Young gives a very good sense of the words by saying, and they have been to thee for the convocation of the company. The trumpets are the instruments used for the convocation of the congregation. The sound of the call is the instruction for what part of the congregation or the specific direction to the congregation. It's actually exciting to understand the nuances of the words in advance of the coming instruction. Along with this first purpose, there is a second purpose which is next given, which is, verse 2 continues, and for directing the movement of the camps, and for the breaking of the camps. The word masa, or the breaking, is a noun. The word ha-machanot has an article, ha, meaning the, and then the word machanot is plural, the camps. Some translations say the camp, that's not correct. The idea one gets from these words is that the people are encamped. The trumpets will be used for alerting them that it is time to break down their tents and to move. However, the plural ha-machanot, or the camps, is specific. Some translations say the camp as if the entire congregation is to suddenly break down and move. That is not the intent at all. The term the camps means the several divisions that were described in Numbers chapter 5. There we learned that it was either the various camps as they are arranged around the sanctuary, such as the divisions to the east. That included Moses, Aaron, and the tribes of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Or it may mean the three divisions of the camps, meaning first the sanctuary itself, the Levites which surround that, and then the rest of Israel which branches out. In this case, it is probably the former. After this short passage, the rest of chapter 10 will deal with the actual departure of the people from Sinai, being led by the standard of the camp of Judah. After that, the tabernacle will be taken down and so on. It would be the trumpet to move or to direct these individual movements. It is a process which would take hours and hours to complete. For the last of the camps to break down at the same time as the first of the camps, it might mean that they would be standing in the hot sun half the day. Rather than that, the trumpets would call to the individual camps and alert them that they would need to prepare based on the movements of the camp which went before them. This would be an orderly movement which would be accomplished in a marvelously fashioned way. Sadly, 
The vast number of translations do not do a very good job of properly conveying the intended meaning of this verse. As an example of a really, really missing intent translation, the Dewey Rames, which is a Catholic Bible, says, Make thee two trumpets of beaten silver, wherewith thou mayest call together the multitude when the camp is to be removed. The number of errors in that one translation makes it absolutely impossible to grasp the beauty of what Moses is being so meticulously instructed by the Lord. He's carefully and methodically detailing the purpose of these now so that we, 3,500 years later, can mentally follow along as if we were there, watching the people kick up the dust of departure and head out to the sounding of these tootling trumpets. As far as their actual shape, we fortunately have a visual depiction of them revealed to us from antiquity. After the siege and destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the Romans commemorated the event with a carved mural on the Arch of Titus, which is still there to this day. There on the mural are several of the implements used in the service of the Lord, including these two trumpets. And so there is no need to guess what they looked like. They are straight, thin horns that flare out at the end. Flavius Josephus says that they were a little bit less than a cubit in length. The depiction on the arch seems to show them much, much longer, and that's the way that they're making them for the temple in Jerusalem today. But that is probably because the end piece is placed onto a wooden pole as it was stored, so it makes it look like one long trumpet. In reality, they were a bit less than the length of a man's arm from elbow to fingertip. The reason for being two of them is not given, and it is supposed that it is because there are only two priests. Eleazar and Ithamar to sound those two trumpets. That may be, or it may not logically follow. First, Aaron is also a priest, but he's not included in this duty. Only his two sons are. Secondly, in Joshua chapter 6, there will be seven priests who blow seven ram's horns, not seven of these, before the ark. In 1 Chronicles 15 verse 24, seven named <laughs> priests are said to blow this same type of horn described before the ark now. And in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 12, there will be 120 priests all blowing this same type of trumpet. Only two are specified to be made right here, though. What seems more likely is based upon the words of Josephus. He indicates that one trumpet was always used to call the nobles, and the other was used to call the people to assemble. Thus, they were probably different in sound, so that those who heard could distinguish first by the sound of both being blown together, second, the sound of each individually, and then third, by any particular tune, like we have Reveille and we have Retreat, so they'd have their own tunes. The fact that there were many of them of the same general types of trumpets made later does not mean that they were used for the same purposes as these two, which have been specifically mandated by the Lord. Regardless, the Lord now gives particular instruction concerning them. Verse 3, when they blow both of them. When they shall blow with them. The plural indicates both, as will be distinguished from the words of the next verse. The word taka means thrust, clap, blast, blow, and so on. It can be used to indicate pitching one's tent, because one must thrust the tent pegs into the ground. It is used in judges to describe thrusting a dagger into the belly of another person, and so on. The horns would be blown in a forceful manner, as is the case with such wind instruments. In this case, it would be with both being blasted out at one time, 
This was so that, verse 3 continues, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This was a general sounding to alert the entire congregation. However, it does not mean that literally the entire congregation would show up there. Depending on the amount of open area, it might be impossible for such a large number to gather at that spot. What is probably meant is that the representatives of the numbers, tens, hundreds, and thousands, were to come before the tent of meeting. Even then, it could be a very large gathering. Verse 4, but if they blow only one, ve'im be'achat yitka'u, and if with one they blow. This is a rather difficult set of words to be dogmatic about. It says achat or one, but then it says yitka'u or blow, but it's in the plural. Therefore, it could be that one of the two is being spoken of or that both blow but once, meaning at the same time. Both are blown, but they are one uniform, even sounding. Verse 4 continues, Then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. These would be the heads of thousands or divisions. It is probably the same 12 leaders who are named in Numbers 1, 5 through 16. Remember that, all the names they gave? During the original census who were being referred to right here. Now I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, everybody look up at me, all eyes here. If anyone can stand up right now without looking at your Bible and name those 12 leaders and the tribe they are in, I will give you $1,000. You all had your chance. I told you to be ready with these things. You had your chance. Verse 5, when you sound the advance, utekatem teruah, and when you blow a shout. I couldn't do it either, guys. Okay, so <laughs> don't feel bad. When you blow a shout, the word teruah signifies a loud, continuous alarm. This would be different than the calling of the congregation or of the leaders, which was a short blast, whether by one or by both trumpets. The similarity to the Roman sounding of the clarion, which is called Tara Tantara leads some to believe that these would be short, broken tones, which are then terminated with long ones. Regardless, this blast would be a recognizable alarm that would probably have brought a sense of true excitement to everyone. Verse 5 continues, the camps that lie on the east shall then begin their journey. With the sound of the Teruah, Judah would head out, following the Ark of the Covenant, which would lead the way, as is noted in verse 33 of this chapter. It would be a rather amazing feeling to hear the sound and to contemplate what lay ahead. Each step taken would be one step closer to the land of promise. With the ark of the Lord leading their way, covered by the pillar of cloud, it would be a wonderful assurance to them that their true home was ahead and waiting for them. Verse 6, when you sound the advance the second time, utekatem teruashnit, and when you blow a shout the second it is the same blast which began the procession and which is now being blown to continue with the advance as next stated. Verse 6 continues, Then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. To get a mental picture of this, there is first the ark. Then after that will be the tribes of Judah, east of the sanctuary. This would be followed by the carts carrying all of the items of the sanctuary except the most holy objects. Once they were broken down, placed on carts, and had departed, then those on the south side, meaning the right side of that massive cross, would then begin their march. Verse 6 continues, They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. Teruah yitkeu le masahem. A shout they shall blow for their breaking camp. 
With these words ends the directions for the setting out. But this leaves an obvious question. What about the camps to the north and to the west? Everything so far has been so detailed and so specific, and yet no direction is given for them. There are one of two possibilities for us to consider. The first is that a portion of the text is actually missing, because the Greek translation of the Old Testament adds in the following words, And ye shall sound a third alarm, and the camps pitched by the sea, meaning westward, shall move forward. And ye shall sound a fourth alarm, and they that encamp toward the north shall move forward. They shall sound an alarm at their departure. The second possibility is that the horns were carried along in the same procession with the most holy objects. So here we have the camps departing. The ark is up there, then the east goes, and then goes the sanctuary, and then goes the south, and then the most holy objects are carried, okay? If the trumpets are carried with those most holy objects, which seems likely, then they wouldn't be there to blow for the west and for the north sides, okay? So this seems the most plausible explanation the ark went first, but a distance of holiness was most probably to be maintained between it and the people. And so when that distance was sufficient, the horn would blow to alert the standard of Judah to move. And again, the implements of the sanctuary would follow them at some distance. And so another blast would be needed to alert those on the south when to go. After that, the most holy objects, which were carried by the Levites, would then go out when instructed by Eliezer and Ithamar, including these trumpets. Finally, the last two tribes could pick up and move out in order without a need for the trumpets to alert them. Requiring a certain span for the objects on the carts and for those carried by the Levites would be very wise because the amount of dust in the air would cover those things unless a suitable span was made to allow it to settle first. After the carried items set out in agreeable distance, then there would be no need for this concern again. This seems all the more sure because the addition to the Greek translation, which I just read you, is not supported by the Samaritan Pentateuch, the Coptic versions, or anywhere else of note at all. Instead, the omission seems purposeful, and it is because of the implements of the sanctuary in relation to the tribes that this is so. And so, to finish this thought... The blast is an indication of marching divisions in relation to the ark and the sanctuary implements. As those are complete, after the divisions to the south move, no further blast was necessary. The march of the Lord's honor guards, meaning the Levites and their implements, was now complete. Verse 7, And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. This is taking us back over the previous verses, and it is intended to show a specific distance between the blasts for calling the assembly as directed in 3 and 4, and for the sounding of the events as directed in verses 5 and 6. There is the calling together of the people with a long, even, and uninterrupted peal, and then there is the compelling of them to separate in the advance with short, sharp blasts. The two were to be carefully adhered to. The advance was not to be sounded at the calling of the assembly. Verse 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. Here we see that the blowing of these particular trumpets is reserved for the priestly class alone. At least for these sacred callings, it was not a duty to devolve to either Levite or commoner, but it was for the line of Aaron only. The same word for trumpet used here is used later in Kings and Chronicles to describe a trumpet not used by priests. If these were the same type of trumpet or not, or if those were not counted in the sacred callings mandated for the priests, is not known. However, for the special callings noted here, only the priests were to make the sound. 
as the priests mediated between the people and the Lord, the idea is that when the sounds of priestly call were made, it was as if the Lord himself was making them. Verse 8 continues, And these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. The words here indicate that the trumpets were not just for the call of the assembly on their march to Canaan, but they were for the calling of the people in that regard now, and for what will next be mentioned in the final two verses of the passage. The call was to be made by the priests on behalf of the Lord, and it was to be as an ordinance under the Mosaic Covenant, the word is olam, or to the vanishing point, and throughout the generations of the Aaronic priesthood. The effectual nature of both of these thoughts is ended in Jesus Christ. However, the fulfillment of the symbolism of them continues on in Christ. Trumpets to gather the people together. Trumpets to set them off on their way. Two silver trumpets to be blown whenever, blown whenever the Lord's mouth does say. The people begin their advance at their sound, and the people come before the Lord when they are heard. Come, my people, gather around. Listen to the trumpets. Blast forth my word. I have a plan of redemption laid out before you, and that plan is blasted forth with a shout. Listen to the trumpets, so you are instructed to do. In their sounding forth, you shall have no doubt. Redeemed, this is what the trumpets proclaim, so I have sworn by my holy name. Our second thought today is as a memorial before the Lord. It's verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who opposes you, The verse begins with ve-ki, or and when. There's already no doubt that war will be coming. It has been implied and it will be stated explicitly again. They will go to an inhabited land and they will meet them in battle. However, it is already called your land by the Lord. There will be battles to take possession and it is obvious that there will be battles to retain possession. It is not an if but a when that this will occur. When it does, verse 9 continues, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. The word ruah, or shout, is what is indicated here. It is a battle alarm to sound as a memorial. We can select two particular times when this is seen. The first is from Numbers chapter 31. This is even before entering Canaan, meaning the land of their possession. However, it is a battle against the adversary, and so the trumpets accompany the army. Here's what it says. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hor, and Riva. The five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. The second is found in the land at the time when the northern tribes of Israel were arrayed in battle against the southern tribe of Judah. In essence, the adversary is Judah's own brothers. This is found in 2 Chronicles 13. Here's what it says. Now look, God himself is with us as our head and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you, O children of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. And so they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear. 
Then they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. The carrying of these trumpets to battle was, however, not necessary to stimulate the troops to fight. Although that is always a positive aspect of battle to hear the blow of the trumpet, that is only a secondary benefit of this for Israel. The main purpose is next explicitly stated by the Lord. Verse 9 continues, And you will be remembered before the Lord your God. The Lord promised that the people would be remembered by him at the sounding of the trumpet blasts. Thus, carrying the trumpets to battle and sounding them in the battle are acts of faith in and of themselves. Whether these were carried into all of the battles or not is not stated. Other trumpets are noted in battle also, such as Joab sounding the shofar in 2 Samuel verse 18, 16. To call the people from engaging the enemy any longer, he blew that trumpet. Such calls were made according to the rules of war set up by commanders and the like. But the use of these silver trumpets is specifically for calling them to be remembered before the Lord. As such, a promise is made. Verse 9 continues, and you will be saved from your enemies. This must be taken in a rather broad sense. The trumpets could not be used as a talisman to prompt God to act in an unholy way. Further, the word you here is plural, meaning that the people would be saved, but individuals were still sure to die in battle. In the end, even if the battle was lost, as long as Israel remained, it would have to be considered a fulfilled promise of the Lord. At what point could this be considered as a failed promise by the people would be up to how they perceived what had happened. But the very fact that someone could question the matter meant that he was still alive to do so. The Lord did remember Israel, and he has always saved them from their enemies. The two trumpets were carried off to Rome at the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Can that be considered a failure of this promise? No. Here we are 2,000 years later and Israel has still remained saved. Why? They don't have the silver trumpets. The answer is because of what the trumpets picture. We'll find out in a minute. As a side note, two words are translated as enemy in this one verse. The first is tsar, or adversary. The second is oyev, or enemy. The Lord says there will be adversaries, and he proclaims that as such, they are enemies who will be defeated. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness, ubeyom simchatechem, and in the day of your joy. This signifies any time that the people celebrated a day of joy as a national unit. The Lord will define some of them in the words ahead but it is not limited to those times. The trumpets were blown at the bringing of the ark to Jerusalem by David. They were blown at the dedication of Solomon's temple when the ark was brought to its place of rest. They were blown at the time of the cleansing of the temple by King Hezekiah. They were blown at the laying of the foundation of the second temple in Ezra and at the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah. The day of Israel's joy even includes the day in which the wicked queen, Athaliah, was dethroned and a legitimate king was reinstalled on the throne of David. He received the throne and she got whacked outside the house. Such times of national joy were times to sound the trumpets as a means of thanks and praise to the Lord. What should be noted is that each of these days of gladness in some way or another points to the Lord himself. The movement of the ark, which pictures Christ, blow the trumpets. 
the dedication of the temple where Christ reigns, blow the trumpets. The cleansing of that same temple, blow the trumpets. The restoration of the Davidic line leading to Christ, blow the trumpets. Verse 10 continues, in your appointed feasts, and in your appointed feasts, is speaking of the feasts of the Lord. This would include the weekly Sabbath and also the seven annual feasts of the Lord in Leviticus 23. It would also include the later instituted feast of Purim, as noted in Esther chapter 9, and the feast of dedication now known as Hanukkah, noted in John chapter 10. These are all recorded in scripture, though the last is only recorded in the New Testament. However, it was and to this day remains a day of national joy. All of these feasts point to Christ. The Leviticus 23 feasts and the feasts of Purim have all been analyzed in previous sermons. The feast of dedication or Hanukkah points to Christ as the light of the world. In all of them, blow the trumpets. Verse 10 continues, and at the beginning of your months, the beginning of the months or the new moon celebrations are mentioned 22 times in the Old Testament, but the reason for them is not detailed in any special way. They are mentioned in connection with the Sabbath quite often and also in connection with other feasts. In Amos, we see selling grain was not allowed on the new moon, just like the Sabbath. Thus, it was a time of rest and celebration in anticipation of the month ahead. Psalm 81 is often cited as a fulfillment of what is said in this verse. There it says this, Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. However, the word for trumpet in the psalm is shofar, a ram's horn. That would be trumpets blown by the people in joy, not horns blown by the priests as a memorial. Though both occurred, one thought should not be mixed with the other. The silver trumpets were as a memorial for remembrance by the Lord. The ram's horn would be for a celebration by the people to the Lord. Again, like the other feasts, Paul shows in Colossians 2, verse 16, that the new moon celebrations pointed to Christ. Blow the trumpets. Verse 10 continues. You shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. Only two types of sacrifices and offerings are mentioned here the burnt offerings, and the peace offerings. The first is an offering burnt up wholly to God. The second is an offering which is shared between the Lord and the offerer. Having the horn blown over these is again as a memorial to the Lord. In the first, it is as a memorial of the life of Jesus Christ offered wholly to God. In the second, it is a participation in that same life between God and his people, comparable to our Lord's Supper today. Both look to the work of the Lord on our behalf. Blow the trumpets. Thank you. Verse 10 continues. And they shall be a memorial for you before your God. The blowing of the horns over the offering appears to be as important in type and in picture as the offering itself. Here we are explicitly told this. The offering is made, but the sounding of the trumpet is what is said to make it as a memorial before their God and to ensure they understood that this is not just any God who is their God. He firmly states that all of these things only apply because verse 10 finishes with, I am the Lord your God. Ani Yehovah Elohechem. I am Yehovah your God. 
It is the often repeated and emphatic statement that the same God who brought them out of Egypt is the same God who is with them at Sinai and who is the same God who will be with them at all times that the details of this covenant apply. There is no time that the words here can be twisted to include any other God. The blowing of the trumpets to another God is to waste the very breath of air which makes the sound. The Lord has spoken the words, the words apply only to him, and Israel's relationship with him is dependent on that fact. Not one part of this body of law can be transferred to another God. Trumpets of silver calling to the Lord as a memorial of the surety of his word. Our third thought today, why two trumpets, why silver trumpets? The surface meaning of what we have seen is rather obvious. But it doesn't really explain why two trumpets were mandated or why they were to be silver. They could have been of gold, bronze, or even ram's horns. And there could have been one or five mandated. As we learned, the fact that there are two sons of Aaron at this time does not sufficiently answer why two were mandated. Two in the Bible signifies that a difference exists. In one, no difference exists. But in two, there is a division and thus a difference. If there are two things, even though they differ, they form the whole. And so two signifies a contrast, but a confirmation. There is good and there is evil. They contrast, but they confirm the totality of the state of morality. There is light and there is dark. They contrast, and yet they confirm the state of light or its lack. Jesus is the God-man. They contrast, and yet they confirm the nature of Christ. The word of God is of two testaments. They contrast, but they confirm the word of God, law and grace, prophets and apostles, pre-incarnation, post-incarnation, and so on. The two trumpets are for gathering of the people, for the advancement of the people from their camps, for remembrance in the battle, and as a memorial before God at various times. Those are the four main reasons. Though each is further defined, these are the four main reasons for them. Simply stated, the purpose of each of these four is found mirrored in the Word of God. It is to gather God's people. It is to advance them forward as they go. It is for the people to be remembered before the Lord in battle. And it is as a memorial before God at the various times of our lives which point to Christ. The two trumpets then reflect the two divisions of the Word of God as we've already described them. The reason that they are silver is because silver as we know, pictures redemption. Some have tried to equate the silver to the Bible itself by using the words of Psalm 12, which say, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. That is not a good analogy. The word is not being equated to silver, but rather to the purity of the silver. The word of God, however, does portray the redemption of man. From its earliest pages to its very last page, this is one of the several main themes of Scripture, and it is what the silver trumpets are picturing. In Exodus 12, verse 14, the keeping of the Passover was to be to Israel a memorial to the Lord. In Exodus 30, the silver ransom money was then equated directly to the blood of the Passover and was to be a memorial before the Lord as an atonement for them. In Leviticus 23, the first day of the seventh month, known as Yom Teruah, was to be a holy convocation and as a memorial before the Lord. That looked forward to the day of Christ's birth, when the one who would come to redeem man entered into humanity. So you see, each one of those occurrences pictures the redemption of man. Here in the book of Numbers, the silver and the trumpet are now combined into one. 
picturing the word of God which proclaims the word of God, the coming Lamb of God. It is then this which is the memorial before the Lord. When we hold this word to read it, when we open it to preach from it, when we plug it into our CD and listen to it, we are having the blast of these two silver trumpets proclaiming God's redemption in Christ blasted before us. The memorials in Scripture and the memorial which is Scripture are used to bring God's people to being redeemed. They are to bring remembrance, the past deliverance of His people, and they continue to remind His people of that same state of being redeemed. The redemption silver of the ransom money for Israel was used in the construction of the tabernacle. That shows us that everything about our redemption stands on Christ and is supported by Christ alone. If you remember, the sockets were made of silver and the things which the clasps which held up the veil, for example, would be silver. It pictures redemption. It stands on Christ and is supported by Christ alone. The silver of the trumpets shows us that the redemption of Christ is only, only revealed in Scripture. But it is to be found in both testaments as they together blow forth the glorious message of God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself by no longer imputing our trespasses to us. If you wonder why no memorial was blown over the sin offerings, it is because God no longer remembers our sins. Why would you blow a memorial over a sin offering? It doesn't make any sense. Here, I'm sinning. I'll call back. No, they are gone. The memorial is only blown over that which pictures Christ's life wholly given up for us and our life together with him in fellowship. Here we have two trumpets of silver blowing as a memorial of the great and wonderful things that God has done in Christ from the very foundation of the world itself and off into a glorious eternity from this day and forevermore. As a final note concerning these things, the trumpets were used to call the people together. This is what the Bible is for. When we come together, it is to learn this word. They are also for the advancement of the people. This is what the Bible is for, be it in advancement within the ministry, in sending forth missionaries, or for advancing in our own personal spiritual walk. They were also for remembrance in battle. This is what the Bible is for. We are, as Paul clearly tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, in a spiritual battle. We must rely on this word when engaging in it. When we do, we will be remembered before the Lord. They were also for times of joy and feasts. Guess what? This is what the Word of God is for. It is to be shared at all times when we gather to read and cherish within our hearts and as a devotion to God. And they were blown over the burnt and peace offerings. This is what the Word of God is for as well. It is the intimate connection that we have with God which tells us of Christ's giving of himself for us and of our fellowship with our Heavenly Father because of him. Let us not forget the lesson of these two silver trumpets. They are two testaments of God's word which together peel out the sound of man's redemption which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all things good and holy, blow the trumpets. Let their sound go forth to the glory of God and as a memorial to him that we are seeking his face in this life. Indeed, blow the trumpets. Let the trumpets resound. Okay, everybody got that? It's marvelous, isn't it? And like I said, Doug figured it out. Look at his picture and you'll get the symbolism when you see it. I have a closing verse for you. Before I give you a closing verse, let me tell you, I talked about Christ's redemption, but I still should give a salvation call in case somebody's watching this sermon that's never been in a church before and just happened to click on it. 
as we see time and time again in the Bible, we are always being alerted to Christ. Always. It, it just is inevitable that if you look for Jesus, you're going to find him in these pictures. And the picture here is that of the redemption of man, which is found in Jesus Christ. The silver pictures, the actual redemption, the trumpets picture, the two testaments blowing forth the sound of that redemption. One is incomplete without the other. You can't have an Old Testament without a new. You can't have a New Testament without the old. They both point to Jesus. They both explain Jesus. They both reveal Jesus in one way or another. The point of what I'm saying here is that Jesus is the point of Scripture. And because he is the point of Scripture and Scripture is God's word, then he is what God is trying to get us to focus our eyes on. He is the Lamb of God who came to redeem us from our sins. And without coming through Jesus Christ, there is no way that you will ever get to see the face of God. You will be utterly shut out from his presence. You will see the face of God in a sense when you stand before the judgment seat of God at the great white throne. Then it will be a memory that will be seared into your memory for all eternity. When you are, you talk about what hell is, that is seeing the glory of God in every good thing that could ever possibly be and then being shut out from that. I can't think of any torture, any pain, or any punishment that is worse than that. Knowing that every good thing that you have ever desired or ever could dream of desiring is standing before you and you are being shut out from its presence. You talk about hell, there it is. Jesus Christ has come to give us something wonderful. He's come to reveal himself, reveal the Father in himself, and to bring us back to God the Father. And without him, you will not see him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Neither he's a liar or that is an absolutely exclusive statement. The world hates exclusive statements, but Jesus ain't no liar. Please, if you've never come to Jesus Christ, simply accept what he did. Just say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need to be redeemed. The whole thing about being redeemed is that you need a redeemer, right? I mean, if you don't need a redeemer if you don't need to be redeemed. But that's what the Bible shows is that we're all fallen in our nature. So please call on Jesus. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I want Jesus to do it for me. All right. I have a closing verse for you from Psalm 98. It's verses four through six. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Isn't that wonderful? Next week is Numbers 10. It's 11 through 36. The walking just went on and on. It's entitled From Sinai to Paran. That'll be our 19th Numbers sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there, carefully leading you to the land of promise. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I have a question. Each week I've tried to stump you on something, and I'm going to I'm going to uh, try again this week. Silver Pictures Redemption. Everybody knows that. The ransom money was given by the people to avoid something. Observing the Passover was given by the people to avoid something. And then the ransom money, which is equated to the blood of the Passover, is given by the people to avoid something. What was it, and where is that recorded? I've gone through that at least four sermons with you. If you've been here through those sermons, you've heard it at least four times. It is to avoid, anybody? Okay, the plague, the negef, the plague. Okay, Isaiah 8 verse 14 is the last time that negef or plague is used in the Bible. And here's what it says. Oops, I went too far. Isaiah 
8, verse 14. All right, because it's all picturing the same thing. It says here, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to, the ho to both houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's the plague that he's talking about there. And then in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 9, Paul quotes Isaiah saying that Jesus is that plague that came upon Israel because they rejected him. Let me find that right now. Now, you're never going to forget this one again. I know you won't. That's all right. Not num Romans 9, and it says here in verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He's saying that Jesus is that stone of stumbling. And guess what? Peter says the same thing one more time in 1 Peter 2, verse 8. He says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, equating it directly to Jesus. Jesus is the plague that came upon Israel because they failed to come to Jesus as their ransom. Everybody see how it's all tied together? The trumpets are made of silver, the ransom. The trumpets blow out the word of God. The word of God reveals Jesus Christ. They rejected Jesus. The plague came upon them. Everything fits. It all fits. That's why when you see something like two silver trumpets and somebody says, well, that's the preaching of the gospel, you have to say, well, does the preaching of the gospel, is that pictured in the Old Testament as silver? The answer is no. So that's not right. Okay? You just have to figure out what the symbolism of things means, and then you know what the symbolism of other things mean based on what they're made of. Okay? There we go. All right. I got a poem here for you. It's called Two Silver Trumpets. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, these are the words he was to him then relaying. Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work, so you shall do. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing movement of the camps, as I am now instructing you. When they blow both of them, all of the congregation shall gather before you at the tabernacle of meeting store. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you as to you these directions I now tell. When you sound the advance therein, the camps that lie on the east side shall then their journey begin. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side therein shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them, their journeys to begin. And when the assembly is to be gathered together around, you shall blow, but not the advance sound. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets as one of their vocations, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall an alarm with the trumpet sound, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies, even if they abound. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months when you make your profferings, you shall blow over your burnt offerings the trumpets, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. And they shall be a memorial before your God for you. I am the Lord your God, so these things you shall do. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. Then we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, 
We do thank you for the many blessings of this life, and we thank you that our redemption is secure 100% in Jesus Christ, and we thank you that that is pictured even back in the Old Testament in two trumpets made of silver. They are calling forth a sound for us, and then they're given as a memorial before you for the actions that we take in this life, including war. And yes, you say that we're in a war. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that. We're in a spiritual battle against evil, wicked forces of this world, and we need you to be with us. And so when we apply the Bible to our lives, when we apply the knowledge of it in the walk that we lead, you will remember us before our enemies, and you will defeat them for us. That is a assured promise that you have given us. And so we stand on that promise, we accept it, and help us then to learn this word and to apply it to our lives always. Because without it, we will not defeat the enemies that come against us. One plus one equals two. Thank you for these lessons that you've given us. Thank you for the tender mercies that you've given to each one of us in our own lives. And Lord, we certainly lift up one more time the people that we mentioned at the beginning of this service, hoping that you will be kind to them and take care of them in the way that is best for them. And we trust this because we know that you are capable of doing these things. Whatever happens will be what is best. So we leave that in your capable hands and we love you and we exalt you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.